Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listen to me very carefully. Whatever squalor and despair your pathetic little lives have been able to tolerate until this point is nothing compared to the pain and misery I can inflict if I leave here unhappy. Kimmy! I got one name! Kimmy! The Riley and Kimmy Show. It is a Saturday. If you're listening to this show, the day it is uploaded. Welcome to episode number 1072. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. And our hero of this story is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And are you all rested and ready to go on this episode? Absolutely. Well, that is good to hear. It is a Saturday, and we're recording this before the hours of sunrise, very late uh, between vampire and ghoul time, uh, and any other thing that uh, creeps around before sunrise Mm -hmm. time. Right, Kimmy? And what's going on right now, that's kind of perfect for me to say that, because uh, Spooky Empire is happening in Orlando, Florida. And check out our Facebook page. We'll have uh, details on how you can help out the Riley and Kimmy show at Spooky Empire this weekend. And you can find links to our social media pages right on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. Yes, it is. RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. Kimmy. K-I-M-M-Y. Dot com. I have some people that actually ask me, is it? I-E or M-M-Y. Mm. Yeah, that, that's why I, you know, I, we had to clarify there, right? Okay. We don't want anybody lost Mm-mm. because we're the ones that are lost and we have the copyright trademark on being lost, right? That's right. We are the lost ones. <laughs> and, and and we'll see if Kimmy loses right now because we have her favorite breakfast up on the line for this one. And that is with Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia. Are you ready to see if you're going to get yourself one of your favorite omelets or not? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And here we go on this Saturday, December 3rd. If you've forgotten to flip over the calendar by now, wow, you are uh, day three late. If you're mm-hmm. hanging out in November under some form of protest, uh, it's not going to work. No. Nope. You know, the end of the year is still going to come, right, Kimmy? That's uh, right. Uh, you uh, cannot keep Christmas from coming. That's right. Now, Grinch. Uh, you, you know, there's some people who do not change their clocks back during the uh time change thing they refused to do that really yes uh our good friend mark mayhew in chicago talked about a relative of his who refused to do that uh never would change his grandfather would never change time he would keep it it was just you know grandpa's time he would never never change it and and he said you know he would occasionally just not flip over the calendar because he had one of those daily calendar what a rebel yeah he was a rebel so don't be a rebel it is saturday december 3rd and here we go to the almanac asking kimmy some questions from the almanac some history but um most generally pop culture fun stuff and if she gets more of them right than wrong she wins herself that omelet of her choice and some spam how about that kimmy oh whoa but if you blow it and don't win the omelet you will get your consolation prize which is the can of spam okay so you will walk away a winner one way or the other here with nerd and pop culture geek trivia here we go, Kimmy. Moving over to the very first part, and you know it's kind of a it's kind of a historic thing, but it's also pop culture related. It was on this date, Kimmy. The neon lamp was displayed for the very first time. That was in Paris. It happened at a Paris Motor Show. Now the lamp was developed by a French physicist. I wanted to clarify that French physicist thing. I wanted you to know it wasn't Paris, Texas or Paris, Illinois. It mm. was it was Paris, France this happened, Kimmy. The question is, within 50 years, what year did the neon lamp make its debut? 1910. 1910, you say, Kimmy. You are absolutely right. I I don't know. Really? Yes, I don't know how you got that. So it looks like you you now get one topping on on the omelet. Uh, I just saw it in my head. 
1910. Well, like, okay. since you have a, a new superpower, let's see how you do when we take you around to get lottery tickets. And you can pick maybe up I num- should start picking on numbers now. Yeah, maybe you should, Kimmy. That was that was impressive. Now, keep in mind that this version of the Almanac, we could have it jumbled around with, you know, dates. Uh, not non-chronological necessarily... order. Yeah. Well, I was going to say linear, but that's right. Chronological order there, Kenny. Might be moving all over the place. Could be jumbled up a little timey-wimey kind of thing going on. And that's what we're going to do right now with the next one, Kimmy. And I, I hope you paid attention in history class way up north. Way up north. Yes, in your home state. Your home state of Illinois was admitted as the 21st state of the Union on this date, Kimmy. Within a 25-year radius, tell me the year your home state of Illinois, Illinois, became part of the Union. 1825? That is within that perimeter there. A little earlier than what you guessed there. It was 1818 that that happened, Kimmy. Okay. There was, But there were people living there. You know, there was a lot of people living there. That was pretty close. You, you were real close there, Kimmy. You were. 1818 is when that happened. It was 1828. Andrew Jackson was elected president of the United States. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history, 1907. George Cohan's musical Talk of the Town premieres in New York City. And James Cagney did a fantastic thing about George Cohan's life. Get a chance to check out Yankee Doodle Dandy. He's kind of about that. George Cohan, something to check out. It was 1922, the first successful Technicolor movie, Kimmy. 1922, the time period of the silent era, the first successful. They made it, the Technicolor movie, Tall of the Sea is what it's called, was shown in New York City. It was 1923, the first congressional open session broadcast via radio in Washington, D.C. 1926, Mystery Time, detective novelist Agatha Christie mysteriously disappears for 11 days. Mm. Nobody knows to this day where she was. What happened? Did she go on a time-traveling adventure? Was she in outer space? Or some dimensional thing? 11 days. Gone. Hmm. Where was she? Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, Kimmy? No. (laughs) Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, don't Maybe she was holed up in a hotel somewhere. Doing what? I don't know. For 11 days? No. Well, holding up in a hotel for 11 days. Do, do you mean she was committing robbery for 11 days in a hotel? You said she was holding up. I mean... Hold up. You know, was she going, stick them up <laughs> for 11 days? Wow. You think she was lo- she was just hiding out somewhere for 11 days. Maybe she was in a cave. Maybe she was in a tent. Who knows? Mm-hmm. 11 days, riding a train. Right, writing a book. 11 days disappeared. Wow. Okay, moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Kimmy, I will give you the year. You finish the answer here. I'll give you part of the answer, okay? Mm -hmm. It was on this date, 1927. Putting Pants on Philip is the name of a movie. (laughs) Yes, 1927. Putting Pants on Philip is the name of the movie. I'm sure you see that quite often, haven't you? Oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> what is one of your favorite movies, Kimmy? Putting Pants on Philip. Yeah. Matter of fact, hey, anybody that's uh, going to be around this uh, this uh, weekend, today or tomorrow at uh, Spooky Empire, you know, after uh, Spooky Empire, do you want to go watch Putting Pants on Philip? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that sounds fun, doesn't it? 1927's year. Every December. Yes, Putting Pants on Philip. All right, Kimmy, it was 1927. Putting Pants on Philip was released. It's the first Laurel and what movie? Hardy. The theme music there is what did it, didn't it? Yeah, that's how you got it. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Huh? Yes, Kimmy is correct. Laurel and Hardy. So now you know their very first movie, and you can share that with somebody and irritate them by saying, hey, let's go watch Putting Pants on Philip. So who's Philip? I have no idea who Philip is. Laurel, Hardy, and Philip? It's Putting Pants on Philip. You know, this makes you want to go watch Putting it Pants does. on Philip. You do want to watch I'm Putting... I'm intrigued. You, well, you know what? Don't start watching Putting Pants on Philip's right this second, or on Philip right this second. Just, you know, wait a little bit, but hey, that's something to look forward to. Maybe later today we'll be... Wa- you know, you could do your movie review on Putting 
pants on Philip. Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm looking forward to that one, Kimmy. You know, they almost did not team up together. Do you know why? Did, or, they, did they hate each other? No, that's not the reason. And it wasn't because they had a problem putting pants on Philip. That wasn't the reason they almost didn't team up. The reason is because at that time period, uh, the filming, the way the technology to film, they had mm. a hard time filming somebody. Who was that? Um, Stan. That's correct. Because of? His blue eyes. That's correct. His eyes showed up where it was invisible. Uh-huh. And... Uh, quite creepy, I understand. Mm. So, But they were able to capture his eyes correctly, and that's why they were teamed up together. Moving over, there's something else happening on this date in history. Kimmy, you give me the year within 20, 20 years. You get a 20-year, and remember, this could be jumbled around anywhere, 20-year time span plus or minus. I need you to give me the year and also tell me, um, well, I think it kind of reveals what it is. So you just give me the year when this item was sold for the very first time. Here is your audio clue for you to think about that. Now I'm going to give you a clue. This, what we're playing right here, is not from the time period when this item was sold for the very first time. So here is your clue. Things are changing very fast in Florida today. They still have pretty beaches and palm trees gently sway. But up at Cape Canaveral, it's quite a different sight. They're launching giant rockets almost every night. When work pressures make you nervous and your stomach gets upset, that's the time for Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer's what to get. And scientists get headaches from the rocket's mighty blast. But they know Alka-Seltzer brings relief and brings it fast. And when someday they blast away on man's first trip through space, I only hope that I'm aboard securely strapped in place. They'll track our ship with radar, big telescopes, and soon, imagine seeing speedy Alka-Seltzer on the moon. Uh, do you need your Alka-Seltzer right now, Kimmy? No. You're not stressing on us. Mm-mm. Okay, within 20 years, when did Alka-Seltzer make it to the shells for the very first time? When was it sold for the first time? Mm, 1946. Well, Kimmy gets it within that uh, 20 range. It was 1931. Alka-Seltzer was sold for the very first time. Speedy there that we heard, that was uh, he was actually made his appearance in the 1950s, and he was part of also cartoons in the 1960s. That's uh, from a Fred Flintstone cartoon, the hmm. Flintstones, uh, the very first season, by the way. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history, 1947, the play A Streetcar Named Desire opens... At Broadway's Ethel Barrymore Theater, who wrote a streetcar named Desire? A play by whom? Um, the first name of this person is a state in the Tennessee. Con- <laughs> Gee, Tennessee. No, <laughs> can you tell me more? Tennessee. What's well, not Tennessee tuxedo? What is what is this for? <laughs> Gee, Tennessee. <laughs> Can you tell me? Come on, well, Tennessee. What, Gibby? I, I gave you the big yeah. clue there. Yes, Tennessee. It's Tennessee. Yes. Come on, not tuxedo. Not no. The, no 3D BB here. Come on. Three dimensional. Three dimensional blackboard. Yeah. 3B. You know, 3D BB. We got no Tennessee, three. you know, Tennessee. Yeah, um, Tennessee. That sounds like a good song there. Yeah. Do we need to t- put to Tennessee? Come on, Gimme. Come on. Come on. It's being shouted out to you right now. TW. That's his initials. TW. Tennessee. Escaping me. It is Tennessee Williams. Williams. Tennessee Williams, Kimmy. All right. Now, I think I knew your parents well enough to know that they listened to this individual that I'm about to play a little bit of audio of. I'm going to give you the year. It was 1950. This person began his national radio broadcast. He would be on radio stations all over the country. Uh, yeah, national, but he would be in local radio stations. They would play his segments usually twice a day, early in the morning one time, and for that drive home, they would play it. Iconic voice. See if you can identify who he is. You ready? I, I know your parents. I wonder if I know it already. Ooh, you want to do it without hearing the voice? I'm going to guess Paul Harvey. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe 
in all of that incarnation. Yes, Kimmy is exactly right. I didn't even get the chance to play the Christmas thing that he did there. Um, yeah, that's Paul Harvey. We'll give you bonus points here if you can tell me how he used to close his show. He used to say something. And that is the rest of the story. I would accept that and or Paul Harvey, good day. That's how you would okay. end as well. Either one of those, I will. Er, and now you know the rest of the story. That's wow, she well, she did. That's what it was. So your family did watch absolutely. or listen to Paul Harvey. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so I I knew that, and you know I I used to despise Paul Harvey because that meant the school bus was coming when Paul Harvey was on mm. the local farm area radio station. I knew that school bus was going to be heading down the road to pick me up. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> when Paul Harvey come on, you know, and I'm like, no, because the bus would be coming when Paul Harvey come on. Was, uh, yeah, I dreaded Paul Harvey when it comes to that. All right, Kimmy, moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Pay attention here. 1960, the musical Camelot debuts at the Majestic Theater on Broadway. It will become associated with what presidential administration? What? JFK. Yes, that's correct. The Kennedy administration moving over to something else happening on this date in history 1961 the beatles meet future manager their very future manager in his record store he owned one can you tell me who that big manager would be yeah he he ended up firing the uh, first drummer you know he was like you're, you're out of here i can't do it brian epstein Yes. 1961, that happened. You, that's shame, Kimmy, because you are a big Beatles fan. Mm -hmm. What is wrong? You're slipping on me. I think we're going to pull off one of those toppings for that that uh, omelet now. It's just, it's just, you don't even get cheese with that omelet so far. What? I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Take that the one. onions off. I didn't. I wasn't going to put onions there anyway. So well, how could I do that? It'd be mushrooms. Well, well, I guess they're gone too. No. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kimmy, it was on this date, 1962, Edith Spurlock Sampson, sworn in as the first United States black female judge. It was 1965 in Sacramento, California. Keith Richards of what group? The Rolling Stones. Was shocked and knocked unconscious during a concert when his guitar made contact with his microphone. That was during a performance of The Last Time. It almost became The mm. Last Time. I wonder if they just kept playing. He was, you know... Hmm. bouncing on the floor a little bit. I mean, did they just keep going? Mm. I don't know. It was on this date, 1966, in Honolulu, Hawaii. The Monkees performed a live concert for the first time. It was 1967. The Supremes were guests on Tennessee Ernie Ford's TV special. I can't imagine that one. Uh, you remember Tennessee, don't you? Tennessee Ernie Ford? Mm. He guested on... I love Lucy sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, she has no clue who I'm talking. You don't know who I'm talking about, do you? That's all right. What? Why are you doing a bobblehead thing? I'm just nodding my head and smiling. Okay, that's scary. Please don't do that. It's, okay. it's kind of creepy. All right, uh, uh, just wait till we have the studio camera going for that, okay? It was 1967. The famed luxury train 20th Century Limited completed its final run from New York to Chicago. It was 1967. Assassination attempt was made on Bob Marley and others during concert rehearsals in Jamaica. It was 1968. NBC aired the Elvis comeback special. And you you know that one, Kimmy, because they made a collector doll for that. Remember that with a black jumpsuit? Oh, and yeah. They have the, yep. that, that's that comeback doll. Okay. Well, the comeback Elvis. Okay. Thank you very much. That's, that's what that is. It was on this date, 1968, the Rules Committee of Major League Baseball. Kimmy, they announced something. They announced that in 1969, the pitcher's mound would be lowered from how many inches to how many inches? They lowered it. And the reason they did this was to get more batting action. Wow, I've never heard that. I will tell you how high it was prior to 1969. You tell me what it became. Oh, okay. It was 15 inches. What did they make it? What did wow. they do? Um, 10. That is exactly right. You baseball freak, you. You I guess. No, I don't. I believe. didn't know they did that. You knew that. I see. See, mm -hmm. she she acts like, oh yeah, that was a difficult one, but I pulled it out of there somewhere. Yeah, we know you know these. You're the brainiac here. Told you they're popping up in my head. Sure they are. Okay, well get ready to uh, guess those lottery numbers. Start writing them down. I'll throw a you know a pen and paper or pencil and paper over there to you. It was on this date, Kimmy, in 1973. This song was released, and it was a second straight number one single for this individual. Here is your audio clue. Please identify the song. 
and tell me who the recording artist is who had it as a hit. And tell me the name of the song. You're 16. And tell me who the recording artist is. Ringo Starr. Now, is that song creepy or what? Yes or no? I'd never thought about it. Yeah, well, come on. Is it, you know, is it? Or is it just me? There, I kind of think it might be, you know. Why is that? He's talking about she's 16. And he's like, you know, 105. Maybe he was talking about when he was 16. Okay, maybe he was. I will give you that much. Although I did like the song way back when. Played it a lot, especially at oldie stations. Now, it wasn't the first time that song was a hit. It was a hit before that. 1960, Kimmy. It reached number eight by Johnny Burnett. And if you're a fan of American Graffiti, they played it a lot in that movie. You're my baby. You're my pet. We fell in love on the night we met. You touched my hand. My heart went pop. And ooh, when we kissed, we could not stop. You walked out of my dreams into my arms. Now you're my angel divine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which version, Kimmy, do you like better? Hmm. I don't think, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one, actually. Yeah, it has that, to me, the late 1950s feel going mm-hmm. into the early 60s feel. Yeah. I like that version. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you paid attention to some of those oldie stations I was uh, working at over the years, uh, you would have heard that one. Mm. Yes, and if you actually paid attention to American uh, American Graffiti. It's been quite a while since I've seen that movie. All right, that's an excuse we will accept here. It was 1973, Pioneer 10 sent back the first close-up images of the planet Jupiter. The first outer planetary probe had been launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida on March 2nd, 1972. When you think about that and how far away that is, that's kind of remarkable, especially with the technology they had back then. They were able to do that, mm-hmm. get there. Moving over, is actually, that'd be like me driving compared to you, though. You know, it takes forever. You mm-hmm. know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Kimmy feels, yeah, it takes months, all right, with him just to go down the block. Mm-hmm. Moving over to something else on this date, 1979, 11 were trampled to death at a concert in Cincinnati, Ohio, Kimmy. General mission, no reserve seating. Question is, what musical act was performing or were going to perform. Can you remember? Actually, WKRP in Cincinnati kind of deals with this episode or this incident as well. What year? 1979. 11 were trampled to death at a concert in Cincinnati. The who? That is who it is. You are exactly correct. Mm. It was a who. That's when they stopped unassigned seating mm. it's from that time period. You know, people were trampled. Mm-hmm. For that. It was 1985, the seventh Ace Cable Awards happened. Shelley Duvall wins the Golden Cable Ace for Fairy Tale Theater. It was 1986, a lawsuit was filed. It was against Judas Priest and CBS Records, alleging that two fans shot themselves after listening to the band's music for six hours. That suit was dismissed in 1990. It took four years for it to be dismissed. It was 1989, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev. And this United States president declared the Cold War is over. 1989 is a year. Who is the United States president? Um, George W. Bush? That, what, D- George. Or George Bush Sr. I mean, that's what I meant. Uh, okay. We, Sorry. We, that's all right. We'll accept George the H. The older, the elder Bush. We'll, we'll accept first George H.W. Bush. H. W. Bush. As, That's what I well, meant. Yeah, we, we, we accept that with you. That, that was mm-hmm. 1989. Moving over to a music question for you, Kimmy. You'll get this one. It was 1990 that Nightline aired a video, a video that, well, the previous week MTV had banned. They banned the video. See if you can identify the song they banned and the recording artist. Make love in a train. Cross country. Well, Kimmy, who is that? Madonna. And the song. Justify My Love. That's correct. And all they did was make that song bigger mm-hmm. by doing that. I remember I was working mornings at a radio station. And guess what? We played it. It was not banned. We, and we emphasized that. 
back then. 1990 is when that happened. It was 1991. Hulk Hogan defeats The Undertaker to become the fourth time WWF champion. It was 1991. Alan Freed received a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. It was 1993. Fill in the blank here, Kimmy. Britain's Princess Blank announced she would be limiting her public appearances. That's because she was tired of the media's intrusions into her life. Princess Di. That's correct. Diana is the answer. It was 1994. The PlayStation was released in Japan. 1997 marks the time. Pierce Bronson receives a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 1999. Tori Murden became the first woman to row across the Atlantic Ocean alone. Kimmy, we got something for you to try to beat here. It took her 81 days to reach the French Caribbean, the French Caribbean island of Guadalupe from the Canary Islands. Start rowing. No, I don't do boats or canoes or <laughs> 81 days, kayaks. Or we'll get one of those inflatable rafts for you. And rafts. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that anything. for you. Okay. That, yeah. No. Right. We'll see if you can beat. I, I, think, I think you can do it in 80 days. Yes. Nope. Yes. It was 1999. NASA lost radio contact with the Mars Polar Lander as it entered Mars's atmosphere, the spacecraft was unmanned. 2010, the Boeing X-37 returned to Earth successfully after its first orbital mission. It was launched on April 22nd, 2010. Moving over to celebrity and notable birthdays, Kimmy's 1755. Gilbert Stewart, U.S. portrait painter. He painted George Washington, was born 1755. 1795, Roland Hill introduced the first adhesive postage stamp, Kimmy, 1855. 40 is when that happened. We're not going to ask you those kind of questions. So on this date, this notable was born, born 1927, died at the age of 84 in 2012. He recorded 44 albums in his career, 15 of which have been gold certified, three of which have been platinum certified. He was also nominated for six Grammy Awards. He hosted a TV show by his name. It was a variety show from 1962 to 1971 and numerous TV specials. And he sold over 100 million records worldwide. See if you can identify who this is. Here is your audio clue. It's the happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the happiest season of all. One of my favorite Christmas songs of all time and performers. Tell me who that is. Paul Inca? No. Um, One more guess. It's not Jim Neighbors. No. It's not Wayne Newton. I'm just trying to help you here. I don't know. It's Andy Williams, Andy Kimmy. Williams. Yes. Do you remember Andy Williams and mm-hmm. his sweaters and things like that? Yeah, I, I get those confused. Paul Inca, Andy Williams. Um, Jim Neighbors. No. Wayne Newton. No. Uh, oh, okay. Mel Torme. Get them all confused, right? Mm, kind of. Okay. That's all right. We forgive you for that. Andy Williams. Okay. One of my favorites, especially when working oldie stations, because they only had 40 Christmas songs or so you, they would play mm. total. And that one was okay. Mm-hmm. That grandma one. Oh, oh no, no. Oh, boy. No, no, no. Oh, boy. Shh. Don't say that <laughs> word. Don't, don't, no. don't even yeah. speak of and, that. And that, that hoser one. You know which one I'm talking no, no, about? No, no, no. Hey, hey hosers. Sp- don't hosers. speak of it. Remember that one, the hosers one? You know? Hey, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. This person, Kimmy, was. <laughs> this person was. <laughs> Oh, boy, you got me distracted there. Okay, this person born on this date in history. Kimmy, I need you to tell me how old she is. She is a retired popular music American singer, actress, and game show panelist from 1976 to 1978. She was a regular panelist on the popular game variety show that I'm not going to reveal what it was. Tell me, I need you to tell me what the game show was. Um she also appeared on a game show called Rhyme and Reason and Match Game at the time. It was somebody when you were a kid, you said, what did this person ever do? Why, why are they on this show? What kind of celebrity are they? The person is J.P. Morgan. Remember J.P. Morgan? Remember her? Mm. She was on a certain variety show, a certain talent show in the 70s, a show that ran from 1976 to 1978. 
Hmm. It even had the unknown comic on it at one time. Can you tell me the oh, name of that game show? The Gong Show? From Hollywood, almost live, it's the Gong Show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's your host and the star of our show, the wonder of television, Mr. Chuck Berry. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the Gone Show. It's kind of real day on the old Gone Show. I'd like to dedicate this show to all my friends out there. You keep a little space for me. I'll be there by the turn of the century. All right, Kimmy, did you watch the Gong Show? I hated the Gong Show. So you never watched the Gong Show? Yeah. But you knew what the unknown comic was. Yeah. But you didn't. You know, it was only on for two years in its initial run. Hmm. Yes, the Gong Show. J.P. Morgan, though. You know, remember she was on there, you know, no. yeah, you barely, and she was on some, yeah, you know, like match games. So you'd be like, what, what did she do? Well, she, she did record songs and she did have sort of some hits back in the 1950s. In 1954, she had two, one of them charted at uh, number three on the charts. And it was, that's all I want from you. A little love that slowly grows and grows, not one that comes and goes. That's all I want from you. And then her other big hit, number six from 1954, The Longest Walk. I took the longest walk in the world last night from your arms to your front door. All right, stay awake, Kimmy. Wake up. Wake up there. I, I think you were drifting off on me. I'm sorry we No, that, that didn't sound bad. Yeah, that's J.P. Morgan, and that, that's uh, what she was known for back in the 50s and stuff. Bobby Allison having a birthday today, age 79, a former American professional stock car racing driver and owner, named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers of all time. And guess what? We forgot to guess how old J.P. Morgan is. You have no idea who she is, right? None. So I'm not going to put your omelet online for that. She is still with us. She is 85 years old today, for those that are following along. Moving over to something else musical today, somebody from the music world having a birthday today. See if you can identify who it is with these clues, Kimmy, and tell me how old he is. I will give you a five-year plus or minus for the age. An English singer, songwriter, and actor, he rose to prominence in the early 1970s as the lead vocalist of the heavy metal band Black Sabbath. He was fired from Black Sabbath in 1979 and has since had a successful solo career, releasing 11 studio albums, the first seven of which were all awarded multi-platinum certification in the United States. He has done reality TV and does have some controversy from time to time. Can you identify who that birthday person is and how old he is? Ozzy Osbourne? That's correct. It is Ozzy. How old is Ozzy today? We'll give you a five plus minus. 67. 68 today, Kimmy. Woo! Yes, yeah, see if you can identify who this person is from the music world having a birthday. I don't, I think it's one of those that you will not be able to, and it, we're not thinking less of you if you can't. Because um, I think it's one of those names that just never stuck. An American rock singer best known as one of the lead vocalists of the Jefferson Starship. And Starship, can you identify who he is? Mickey something? It is Mickey something. Mickey. Begins with a T. There's a train that has that name. On children's TV. That has his last name. As his first. Something train. Mickey Thomas? That's it, Kimmy. Mickey Thomas. I knew you would know Thomas the Talking Train. Mm. Mickey Thomas is having a birthday within five. How old is Mickey Thomas today? Um, 72. That is... You did it within five. He is 67 today, Kimmy. See if you can identify this person having a birthday, an American film actress. Her first notable role came as an acrobatic and violent replicant Chris in Ridley Scott's 1982 science fiction classic Blade Runner. And then she also appeared in, well, it was actually her breakout role as a blonde mermaid in Ron Howard's 1984 fantasy Splash. 
Can you tell me who she is? Daryl Hannah. That's correct. And bonus points here, Kimmy. She acted in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Tell me which one. Kill Bill. That's correct. In 2003. How old is Daryl Hannah within five? 63. She is, ooh, didn't make it. She's 56 Mm. today. Julianne Moore, the actress. Do you know who Mm -hmm. she is? Okay, how old is Julianne Moore? We'll give you a five plus or minus. Uh... 56. You got it exactly right. Moving over to another part of the almanac here. I see dead people. Moving over to the desk. It was 1994. Robert Louis Stevenson, Scottish novelist, dies at the age of 45, known for his novels such as Treasure Island, Kidnapped, and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was 1919. Pierre Renoir, French Painter, sculptor, dies at 78, a leading Impressionist painter during the early 20th century. Scott Weiland, born October 27, 1967, died on this date in 2015 at the age of 48. He was an American musician, singer, and songwriter, and he sung for the Stone Temple Pilots from 1989 to 2013 and Velvet Revolver from 2003 to 2008. I think you did really well there, Kimmy. You got your omelet all chosen, what you would like. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. And while we make your omelet, you can listen to something as we uh, pay tribute to the Almanac here as we focus on something from the Almanac with the Golden Age of Radio. Radio was Radio, still you. And that's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Because of a release of a streetcar named Desire on this date, 1947, I thought we'd go to an old-time radio production of Critics Circle. They would focus on certain, you know, plays and things like that. And they have reenactments. This is not a movie or anything like that, but they actually had those who starred in the 1947 production do a radio version with critics talking about certain scenes. It's not the entire place, certain scenes. It's a very unique concept that was done. Rarely heard. Not all collectors have this one in the old-time radio world. But here we go back in time to April 1948. Critics Circle, a streetcar named Desire on the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Special Features Division presents a program in observance of the annual award by the Drama Critics Circle of New York to the best play of the season. The award for the 1947-48 season went to Tennessee Williams' play, A Streetcar Named Desire. And on this program, you will hear several scenes from this prize-winning production with Jessica Tandy, Kim Hunter, Marlon Brando, and Carl Malden playing the roles they created on Broadway. Mrs. Irene M. Selznick, producer of the play, is here with us. And Elia Kazan, who directed the drama, will accept the award for Mr. Williams, who is in Italy. The presentation will be made by John Mason Brown, distinguished critic and president of the Drama Critics Circle. Mr. Brown. Let the first Robin come bob, bob, bobbing along, and all of us can be certain, even in the contemporary world, of one thing. The season for prize-giving is upon us. There are Americans... More loved and less abused. More loving and less abusive, too. But even we, regardless of our mounting ages, seem susceptible to the spring. For then it is that we meet, as we did on Wednesday last, at the Algonquin, to vote upon what in our group opinion has been the season's best play on Broadway. Our sessions in the past have often been stormy enough to make the executive council of the UN look to its laurels. Last Wednesday, however, we met without raised voices, bloody noses, pierced hearts, or even wounded feelings. A group of Quakers could not have been friendlier or less warlike. This year, it was Terence Rattigan's moving and well-written drama, The Winslow Boy, which was chosen as the season's best foreign play. The circle's choice for the season's best American play was A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. It is the second time a drama by Tennessee Williams has been honored by the reviewers, the first time being in 1945 with the Glass Menagerie. A Streetcar Named Desire is a fascinating and unflinching study of the disintegration of a southern schoolteacher who has not confined her professional activities to the classroom. This schoolteacher is a woman who, 
well, in deference to the radio's extreme sensibilities, can perhaps most safely be described as having lost her amateur standing. It is her descent into madness that Mr. Williams follows. He writes of her and her days in New Orleans with both force and sensitivity. Mr. Williams passes no moral judgment on his schoolteacher. He does not condemn her. He allows her to destroy herself and invites us to watch her in the process. The circle is proud to bestow its prize again upon Tennessee Williams. He, alas, is in Europe at this moment. As a matter of fact, just this morning from Rome, the critic circle has received from Mr. Williams a cable reading to all of you my deepest and most heartfelt thanks, which I will try to express in good work since I cannot in words. But though Tennessee Williams is absent, the circle is proud to have Ilya Kazan present to accept its award in Mr. Williams' name. Mr. Kazan is one of the finest directors our theater knows. It was he, after all, who directed All My Sons, which won last year's Critics' Prize. His direction of this year, on a streetcar named Desire, is as sensitive and creative as Mr. Williams' writing of the play. Mr. Kazan. Thank you, John. Of course, I'm most sorry that Tennessee himself can't be here to be honored. On the other hand, I do have an opportunity to say a few things about him that I could never say to him or even if he were listening. You may not know it, but every director secretly prides himself on his ability, generally unappreciated, he believes, as a play constructionist or script expert. I was no exception. But unfortunately, in the differences that Tennessee and I had in rehearsal, most of which time has mercifully erased from my memory, experiment in the first audience proved him right too often for my comfort. I also found that while I didn't know as much as I thought about playmaking, he knew considerable about staging plays, particularly his own. I found him an inexhaustible source of stage business. I finally arranged to keep him tethered to the footlights and have his food and liquid refreshment brought him to him. I wanted him there constantly and used him as a cook uses a superbly stocked larder. The significance of this might escape you unless I add that too often the only thought the director has for the author after a couple of days of his company at rehearsals is, oh, please, where can I send this man for two weeks while I stage his play? But not so here. Tennessee knows as if by instinct that the theater is the collective expression of many arts and crafts, and it conveys what it does to the audience through a full repertoire of these means. Words, of course, but action as much, and also music, props, paint and light, sound and color. And so I'm sure today Tennessee would want me to express on his behalf his great debt not only to the actors who are seen and applauded, but to other craftsmen as well. To Joe Mozina for a setting which successfully and superbly houses both the action and the spirit of Streetcar Named Desire. And to Lucinda Ballard, who found just the right thing to put on the back of each actor to make him meaningful and still humble and right. And now, speaking for myself, allow me to note that for the second year in succession, a young and comparatively fresh playwright, playwright has been honored in this forum. Both Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams are at the threshold of their careers. And it makes me particularly happy that our New York theater is so richly replenishing itself, is so fertile and growing. It makes me proud to be part of it. Thank you, Mr. Kazan. The circle is also pleased today to have Mrs. Irene M. Selznick present. Mrs. Selznick had the discernment and the courage to produce a streetcar named Desire. We would like to hear from you, Mrs. Selznick. Thank you, Mr. Brown. I'm humbly and gratefully aware that my brief career in the theater has been blessed with great good fortune. First, that rare artist, Tennessee Williams, entrusted me with the production of a streetcar named Desire, which was a true privilege. Then to secure the extraordinary talents of Ilya Kazan made it seem that the guards of the drama were watching over Streetcar. To prove it, they brought us the brilliant performances of Jessica Tandy, Marlon Brando, Kim Hunter, Carl Malden, others of our cast, and the splendid contributions of Joe Milzina and Lucinda Ballard. For all of them, and for the many others to whom the production was a labor of love, I want to express the happiness and appreciation we feel to be permitted to share in this tribute to Tennessee. To you, Mr. Brown, and your eminent colleagues, I must speak bluntly. I simply love the critics this year. Thank you, Mrs. Elsnick. And now to the play itself, with Mr. Kazan serving as narrator. 
the Sabbath being the Sabbath, and the radio being the radio, A Streetcar Named Desire is not an easy drama to present on the air of a Sunday afternoon. That is one of its virtues. I trust that what follows will not be too inhibited or diluted to suggest the full strength and power of A Streetcar Named Desire when it is seen on the stage. Blanche Dubois has come from Laurel, Mississippi to visit her sister Stella in New Orleans. To reach Stella's home, Blanche has taken the streetcar named Desire, which bangs up one narrow street of the French Quarter and down another. She finds her sister living in a shabby two-room apartment with her Polish-American husband, Stanley Kowalski. Stanley has no background and little education, but he does possess a strong animal magnetism. And Stella is so deeply in love with him, in spite of the contrast between them. Oh, stop, Tutti Frutti. Oh, Stanley. Hey, what's all this monkey doing? Uh, Stan, I'm taking Blanche to Galatoire's for supper and then to a show because it's your poker night. Hey, how about my supper? I'm not going to Galatoire's tonight. I put your cold plate on ice. Well, I ain't this just standing. I- I'm going to try to keep Blanche out till your poker party breaks up because she's very sensitive and I don't know how she'd take it. Oh, you better give me some money. Here, help yourself. Hey, where is she? She's in the bathroom soaking in a hot tub to quiet her nerves. She is terribly upset. Uh, over what? Well, she's been through such an ordeal. Yeah, well, that singing doesn't sound like she was upset. Well, she is. Stan Blanche says we've lost Belle Reeve. Uh, what do you mean, a place in the country? Mm-hmm. Well, how? Oh, it had to be sacrificed or something. Yeah, well, uh, let's have a gander at the bill of sale. I haven't seen any. Oh, what do you mean? She didn't show you no papers, no deed of sale, no nothing like that? Well, it seems like it wasn't sold. Well, then what was it, then? Give away to charity? She'll hear you. Well, I don't care if she hears me. Let's see the papers. There weren't any papers. She didn't show any papers. I don't care about papers. Uh, have you ever heard of the Napoleonic Code, Stella? No, Stanley. I haven't heard of the Napoleonic no, no. All Code. All right. Will you just let me enlighten you on a point or two? Yes, in the state of Louisiana, we have what's known as the Napoleonic Code, according to which that what belongs to the wife belongs to the husband also, and vice versa. Like, you know, it looks to me like you've been swindled, baby. And when you get swindled on the Napoleonic Code, I get swindled too, and I don't like to get swindled. Look, there's plenty of time to ask her questions later, but if you do now, she'll only go to pieces again. I don't understand what happened to Belle Reed, but you don't know how ridiculous you're being when you suggest that my sister or I, anyone else of our family, could have perpetrated a swindle. Now, where's the money if the place was sold? Not sold, lost. Lost. You're lost, huh? Look look at all these clothes in her trunk. Well, you think she got them out of teacher's pay? Hush, Dad. Well, will you look at these fine fellas and furs? What is that? This is a solid gold dress, I believe. Now look at this one. Oh, please, Dad. And what's this here? Genuine fur fox pieces are half a mile long. That, where, uh, where are your fox pieces, Stella? That's ridiculous, Dad. Uh, what do we got here in this jewel box? <laughs> we got pearls, ropes of them. Well, now, what is this, sister? Is a deep-sea diver? Stanley, you don't know what you're Yeah, bracelets, solid gold. And where are your pearls and gold bracelets, Stella? Be still, Stanley. Are you kidding like the, here, here's your plantation right here, what's left of it. Oh, you've no idea how stupid and hard you're being. I'm going outside and get some air. Oh, well, go ahead. You come on out with me while Blanche is getting dressed. Look, since when do you give me orders? Are you going to stay here and insult you're her? darn tootin' I'm going to stay here. Look, Stan, try to understand and be nice to her. Admire her dress and tell her she's looking wonderful. That's important to Blanche, her little weakness. Yeah, yeah, I get the idea. Hey, Blanche. Here I am, all freshly bathed and scented and feeling like a brand new human being. Well, that's good. Where's Stella? She's outside getting some air. How do I look? Look okay. Many thanks. Well, looks like my trunk has exploded. Yeah, me and Stella was helping you unpack. Well, you certainly did a fast and thorough job of it. Well, it certainly looks like you raided some stylish shops in Paris. Yes, clothes are my passion. Uh, what does it cost for a string of furs like that? Why, those were a tribute from an admirer of mine. Well, he must have a lot of admiration. In my youth, I excited some admiration. But look at me now. 
Would you think it possible that I was ever considered to be attractive? Your looks are okay. I was fishing for compliments, Stanley. Look, no, I don't go in for that stuff. What stuff? Compliments to women about their looks. I'm, I never met a woman yet that didn't know if she was good-looking or not without being told. You know, and there's some of them that give themselves credit for more than they've got. You know, some men are took in by this Hollywood glamour stuff, and there's some men that are not. I'm sure you belong in the second category. That's right. I cannot imagine any witch of a woman casting a spell over you. That's right. You're simple, straightforward, honest. Bit on the primitive side, I should think. To interest you, a woman would lay her cards on the table. Well, I never cared for wishy-washy people. That's why when you walked in here last night, I said to myself, my sister's married a man. Of course, that was all I could tell about you at the moment. Blanche, in the state of Louisiana, there's such a thing as the Napoleonic Code. They, according to which whatever belongs to my wife is also mine and vice versa. Oh, cards on the table. Well, that suits me. I know I fib a good deal. After all, a woman's charm is 50% illusion. When a thing is important, I tell the truth. And this is the truth. I haven't cheated my sister. Nor you, nor anyone else, as long as I... All right, where are the papers? In your trunk? Everything I own is in that trunk. I keep my papers mostly in this tin box. What's them underneath? Those are love letters. Yellowing with antiquity. All from one boy. Let me see them. (gasps) Give those back to me. Now, I'm just going to have a look at these first. The touch of your hand. Don't pull that stuff. Well, what are they? Poems. A dead boy wrote them. I heard him the way you'd like to hurt me, but you can't. I'm not young and vulnerable anymore, but my young husband was. Never mind about that. Give them back to me. Well, take them. What's so special about them? I'm sorry. Everyone has something he won't let others touch because of their... Their intimate nature. Here are the papers you want. Uh, uh, who was that? It's Ambler and Ambler. The firm that made loans on the place. Well, then it was lost on a mortgage. That must have been what happened. No, I don't want no if, ands, or buts. Now, what is the rest of them papers? There are thousands of papers stretching back hundreds of years affecting Belle Reeve. I hereby endow you with them. Take them, peruse them, commit them to memory even. I think it wonderfully fitting that Belle Reeve should finally be this bunch of old papers in your big, capable hands. Weeks pass, and Blanche has become a fixture in the Kowalski household, with tension constantly mounting between her and Stanley. Knowing she must find a way out, Blanche clutches eagerly at the possibility of a romance with Harold Mitchell, a young man who works with Stanley. One evening, Blanche and Mitch return after an evening at an amusement park. Uh, I guess it must be pretty late and you're tired. Mitch, see if you can locate my door key in this purse. When I'm so tired, my fingers are all thumbs. Here, is this it? No, honey, that's the key to my trunk which I must soon be packing. Why, you mean you're leaving here soon? I've outstayed my welcome. Oh, is, is, is this one here? Eureka! Honey, will you open the door? Well, I guess you want to go now. Can I, uh, I mean, well, can I kiss you goodnight? Why, do you always ask me if you may. Well, I don't know whether you want me Why to or you not. Why should so well, that night when I parked by the lake and kissed Honey, you, you told me that... it wasn't the kiss I objected to. I liked the kiss very much. Honey, you know as well as I do that a single girl, a girl alone in the world, has got to keep a firm hold in her emotions or she'd be lost. Lost? Uh, I like you to be exactly the way that you are. Because in all my experience, I have never known anyone like you. <laughs> Are you laughing at me? Oh, no, 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 honey. I'm not laughing at you. Come on in. The lord and lady of the house have not returned. We'll have a nightcap. Let's see if the light's off, shall we? Uh Uh-huh. You you want a drink? I want you to have a drink. You've been so anxious and solemn all evening. We've both been anxious and solemn. And now for these last few remaining moments of our lives together, I want to create one of (laughs) these. 
I've lighted the candle. That's good. We're going to be very bohemian. We're going to pretend that we're sitting in a little artist cafe on the left bank of Paris. Here. Here, I found some liquor. Just enough for two shots without any dividends, honey. There. Oh, oh boy. That's good. Sit down. Why don't you take off your coat and loosen your collar? Oh, no, 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 I... Well, I... All right, if you say so. This is a nice coat. What kind of material is it? Oh, it's a very lightweight alpaca. Oh, lightweight alpaca. Uh-huh. A man with a heavy bill like mine has to be careful of what he puts on him so he don't look too clumsy. Well, you're not the delicate type. You have a massive bone structure and a very impressive physique. I thank you. Blanche. Blanche... Guess how much I weigh. Oh, I'd say in the vicinity of uh, 180. Oh, no, no, no. I weigh 207 pounds, and I'm six feet one and one half inches tall on my bare feet. Oh. Without shoes on, and that is what I weigh stripped. My goodness, that's awe-inspiring. <laughs> well, my weight is not a very interesting subject to talk about. What is yours? You guess. Well, let me lift you. Oh, Samson. Well, go on, lift me. Uh. Well? You're light as a feather. (laughs) Well, you may put me down now. Oh, oh, yes. Well, unhand me, sir. Oh, Blanche. Now, now, Mitch. Mitch. No, Blanche. Mitch, just because Stanley and Stella are not home is no reason you you, you shouldn't behave like a gentleman. I I tell you, Blanche, I just... Just give me a slap whenever I step out of bounds. Well, that won't be necessary. You're a natural gentleman, one of the very few there are left in the world. No, I... No, I, I, I don't want you to think that I'm severe or old-made school teacherish or anything like that. It's, it's just, well... Well, what? I guess it's just that I have old-fashioned ideals. Oh. 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 Where's Stanley and Stella tonight? Well, they've gone out with Mr. and Mrs. Hubble upstairs. Uh, you're an old friend of Stanley's. Well, we was together in the 241st. Has he talked to you about me? Well, why do you ask that? Well... Don't you get along with him? That is putting it mildly. If it weren't for Stella about to have a baby, I wouldn't be able to endure things here. Well, he isn't nice to you? He's insufferably rude. He goes out of his way to offend me. No, Blanche. Yes, honey? Blanche, how old are you? Why do you want to know? Well, I... I talked to my mother about you, and she said, how old is Blanche? You talked to your mother about mm-hmm, me? Yes. Why? Well, I, I told her how nice you were, and I liked you. Were you sincere about that? Oh, you know I was. Well, why did your mother want to know my age? Well, um, my mother is sick. Oh, and... I'm sorry to hear that badly. Well, she won't live long, maybe just a few months. Oh. Well, she worries because I'm not settled. She, she wants to see me settle down. Before she... You love her very much, don't you? I think you have a great capacity for devotion. You'll be lonely when she passes on, won't you? I understand what that is. To be lonely? I loved someone, too, and the person I loved, I lost. Dead? Mm-hmm. A man? He was a boy. Just a boy when I was a very young girl. When I was 16, I made this discovery. Love. All at once and much, much too completely. It was like you suddenly turned a blinding light onto something that had always been half in shadow. That's how it struck the world for me. But I was unlucky. And with his death, the searchlight that had been turned on the world was turned off again. And never... For one moment since, has there been any light stronger than this kitchen candle? Blanche, you need somebody. And I need somebody, too. Well, could it be you and me? It could be. Oh, Mitch. Sometimes there's this heaven so quickly. Several weeks pass, and the relations between Stella and Blanche get progressively worse. 
in spite of Stella's efforts to keep them on a friendly basis. But as Stanley comes home to to dinner one night, he finds Blanche, as usual, in the bathroom, soaking in a hot tub and singing to herself. Well, the temperature the temperature is a hundred on her nose, and she's soaking herself in a hot tub. She says it cools her off for the evening. Well, I got the dope on your big sister, Stella. Stanley, stop picking on Blanche. Uh, you know, she has been feeding us a pack of lies here. No, I don't, and I don't want to hear any more. She has, however. But now the cat's out of the bag. I found out some things. What things? Yeah, there are things I already suspected, but now I've got the proof from the most reliable source, which I have checked on. Well, please tell me quickly just what you think you found out about my sister. <clears throat> okay. Line number one. All this squeamishness that she puts on there. That, uh, you should know the line that she has been feeding to Mitch. You know, that he thought that she'd never even more kissed by a fella. You know, Sister Blanche is no Lily. What have you heard and who from? Our supply man down at the plant has been going through your town of Laurel for years, and he knows all about her. Yeah, and everybody else in the town of Laurel knows all about her. That she is as famous in law as if she was the president of the United States. Now, this supply man stops at a hotel called the Flamingo. What about the Flamingo? She stayed there, too. My sister lived at Belle Reve. Uh, uh, this is after she let the place slip through her lily-white fingers. She moved to the Flamingo, which is a second-class hotel, and then has the advantages of not interfering with the private and social life of the personalities there. Now, the Flamingo is used to all kinds of goings-on, see? But even the management of Flamingo was impressed by Dame Blanche. In fact, they were so impressed that they requested her to turn in a room key, honey, for permanently. And this happened a couple of weeks before she showed here. later, Blanche finally appears for dinner, and Stanley tells her she is to pack her things and go back to Laurel the following day, and he gives her a bus ticket he has bought for her. Later that evening, he takes his wife to the hospital as the baby is expected momentarily. While he is gone, Mitch shows up and tells Blanche in no uncertain terms that he's through with her, and why. As soon as he is gone, Blanche feverishly searches through her wardrobe. And when Stanley returns, he finds her dressed in an elaborate but crumpled white satin evening gown, preening herself before her mirror. Stanley. Yes, me, Blanche. How's my sister? She's doing okay. How's the baby? Well, the baby won't come before morning, so they told me to go home and get a little shut eye. Does that mean that we're to be alone in here? Yeah, it's just you and me, Blanche. Hey, what have got all them fine feathers on for? I received a telegram from an old admirer of mine. Oh, yeah? Anything good? I think so. An invitation. To what? A cruise of the Caribbean on a yacht. Well, what do you know? I've never been so surprised in all my life. I guess not. Came like a bolt out of the blue. Uh, uh, who did you say it was from? An old bow of mine. Oh, sure. I want to give you them white fox fur pieces. Mrs. Shep Hunter. I wore his fraternity pin my last year at college. I hadn't seen him again till, till last Christmas. I ran into him on Biscayne Boulevard. And then, just now, this wire invited me on a cruise of the Caribbean. The problem was clothes. Yeah. I tore it in my trunk to see what I had that was suitable for the tropics. Well, it just goes to show you, Blanche, you never know what's coming. When I think how divine it's going to be to have such a thing as privacy once more, I can weep with joy. Yeah, this uh, millionaire isn't going to interfere with your privacy, now. This man is a gentleman. He respects me. What he wants is my companionship. A cultivated woman, a woman of intelligence and reading, can enrich a man's life immeasurably. Physical beauty is passing, a transitory possession. The beauty of the mind and and richness of the spirit and tenderness of the heart. I have all these treasures locked in my heart. I think of myself as a very, very rich woman. But I have been foolish, casting my pearls... A swine, huh? Yes, swine. Swine. And I'm thinking not only of you, but of your friend, Mr. Mitchell. Mm -hmm. He came to see me this evening. He dared to come here in his work clothes. He repeated slander to me, vicious stories that he'd gotten from you. I gave him his walking papers. 
Oh, you did, When huh? he came back, he returned with a box of roses, begging my forgiveness. He implored me to forgive him. But some things are not forgivable. Deliberate cruelty is not forgivable. Uh, was this before or after you got the telegram from Texas? What telegram? No. No, after. Yeah. As a matter of fact... As a matter of fact, to... there wasn't no wire at all. Oh. And there isn't no millionaire. And Miss Stink come back with roses because I know where he is. There's not a darn thing but imagination and lies and conceit and tricks. And uh, look at yourself. Uh, look at yourself in a sworn-out Mardi Gras outfit running for 50 oh. cents of some rag picker. Please. You know, Please. I, I've been on to you from the start, and not once did you pull the wool over this boy's eyes. You come in here and you sprinkle a place with powder and spray perfume, you stick a paper lantern over the light bulb. And lo and behold, the place has turned into Egypt, and you're the queen of the Nile, sitting on your throne, swilling down my licking. You know what I say? Ha-ha! Did you hear what I says? Ha-ha-ha! I'm going into the bathroom and get ready for bed. Operator, 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 give me long distance, please. I, I want to get in touch with Mr. Shep Hunty of Dallas. He's so well known, he doesn't require any address. Just ask anybody. No, wait, wait, please. I, I No, I couldn't find it right now. Please, please understand. No, wait, operator, operator, never mind long distance. Get me Western Union. There isn't time to... Western Union, Union, take down this message. In desperate, desperate circumstances, help me. Caught in a trap. Caught in a trap. Oh, Stanley. What's the matter? Do I interfere with you? You know, come to think of it, maybe you wouldn't be bad to interfere with Stay me. back. Don't you come toward me another step you or... You what? Something awful will happen. It will. What kind of act are you what putting kind... on now? Don't, don't. I, I'm in danger. <laughs> you smash the bottle for? So I could twist the broken end in your face. I bet you would do that. I would. I will. Well, you want some rough house, sir. All right, let's have a little rough house. Not that bottle top, you tiger. Rapper. We've had this state with each other from the beginning. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R I L E Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.